Hey, hey, everybody, episode number 16. That's, uh, that's eight hours of, eight hours of talking. Holy smokes. What a long story. I hope you guys aren't, like, getting tired of me dragging this out. I, uh, there's just so much detail in this stuff. And honestly, when I tell this story, usually I give the fast version of it. So, realistically, you guys are getting kind of the, uh, the in-depth version of it. But I've covered a lot, so just a fast summary in case you're just bumping in and you're like, episode number 16, what's the first 15 episodes about? So, uh, started out, uh, paralyzed 100%, collapsed lungs on life support, uh, the ventilator, and, uh, that first few months in and out of a coma, um, running a heavy heavy fever 104 plus um depression depressive episode after depressive episode it uh it it brought a lot of challenges on so that whole first six months you know so we're in the six month range here uh where we're at now in this episode number 16 we're at six months and uh keep in mind we got a lot to go because uh I've got another 10 months on top of this um, that we still got to get through. So, but yeah, no, I, that first six months brought, it brought a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges, uh, a lot of mental challenges, um, a lot of frustration. Uh, being on the ventilator and being 100% paralyzed is not an easy thing to deal with because communication, as I've stressed before, is a huge huge nightmare i cannot not stress on that enough that's why if you went back and that was episodes uh you would know the different ways that we worked on tackling our communication struggles and uh realistically i mean that's something that everybody can everybody can utilize if you ever end up in that situation or maybe you're a nurse or a a cna or something and you you deal with people that are in that situation on a regular basis maybe it'll make your life a little easier just to know some of the different things to look forward to and uh and know some of the different situations to watch out for um as i said before uh knowing the situation and having the knowledge of the situation that the patient is in is a huge deal that's a huge game changer and not just your guys's world as providers but also a huge game changer for the patient, the patient's family and friends that come in there on a regular basis. Because communicating with the patient is not the only thing that that's important. Being able to communicate between each other and being able to communicate with their family, the people that come in to see them, uh, that's, that's important stuff. Like it really is important for everybody to kind of be on the same page there. When you have a visitor come in there, it's good to, to have a visitor in there that knows what to watch for and to know know the uh, different signs and stuff of different things that that patient that they're visiting might have happening and and sometimes it's time sensitive situations uh, like I've expressed before bed sores uh, which is a pressure sore could be internal ulcers under the skin that could potentially be a real real hazard to that individual's health so i stressed on that a lot so 
I started off there, I was in that first facility a little over five months uh, in the ICU and on an intensive care respiratory floor in the facility. And then I just transferred to a different facility in, a, in the next town over. And uh, that, uh, that was a long ambulance ride. I'm not going to lie. After being bedridden for that long, and after going from 180, 185 pounds down to about 123 pounds, really, really uh, easily uh, nauseated, I guess, by certain movements. Just sometimes when they would wheel my bed out of the room, going going down the hallway, laying in that bed would make me nauseous. Okay, and that was a regular thing because I had collapsed that left lung so many times. I was constantly going down for x-ray. They'd take me down for x-ray just to look at my lung to see if my chest tubes were being effective or not. And so just the just the rides down the hallway, yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna kid anybody. It, it would give me motion sickness. But you know, when you're before all this, when you're uh, pretty much living your days running around in a vehicle and and whatnot out driving and out out seeing things move and in full scale i mean it's when you get confined into a hospital room and you're laying in a hospital bed and you're not exposed to the outside elements and the outside views for size perspective and everything of the different things around you it's just in the facility it's hallways hallways and square rooms and uh when you get to moving around in there it you, you get dizzy you get nauseous you get a little lightheaded i mean it's it's a real deal not having the exposure to the outside world is kind of sickening and it and it's brought on even to this day being stuck in the hospital that long to this day, I still pay a price for not having the exposure to the elements for that long. I have skin issues to this day. And and I've seen probably 40 dang uh, dermatologists and, and skincare doctors and, and different neurologists have been asked about this. The, the situation that I have going on with my skin today, since being in the hospital all that time is kind of a mystery to all of us uh the their best guess is that it's it was damage done to the nerve endings in my sensory nerves at the skin and being being uh, away from being out of out of the sunlight out of the wind out of the cool weather out of the warm weather just going into a total neutral position with my exposure could potentially be a lot of what's going on there but but no it's it's actually a really annoying problem and you guys are probably gonna laugh you're gonna be like man that would drive me absolutely crazy okay so i love absolutely love the rain love it i could stand outside in the rain all day but here's my problem I, and, and I love a good shower. I love a good daily shower. Um, and I and I fight 
through a daily shower. So here's what I mean by I fight through a daily shower. Since being in the hospital, my skin developed some kind of a condition where it's extremely sensitive to water and moisture. So most people will put lotion on because they're itching. Okay, so they'll put lotion on to stop the itching. When my skin obtains a little bit of moisture, I start itching. So if I'm driving down the highway and it starts raining and I got my window down and my arm out the window just for a second, the next three hours of my life is pure hell because that arm will itch and itch and itch and itch because it got wet. So I've, I've, de I've developed a lot of little tricks uh, that, that seem to not really take it away, but at least minimize some of the stuff I got going on with that. Because I'll take a shower and I'll be in misery for the next two or three hours. And a funny story about that, here about a year ago, year and a half ago, yeah, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, man, time is flying. I was in uh, Loveland, Colorado. As a matter of fact, I was staying on the uh, east side of I-25 there in uh, uh, John, uh, Johnstown. Johnstown, yeah. But uh, I was staying over there. I was on a job down there. Uh, we were moving wind generator blades, and I was steering blades. So that was my job. I'd go down there and and run with the trucks, and we moved them wind generator blades. About a hundred, uh, 225 feet of truck and wind generator blade on trailer, and they're steerable trailers to make the corners. And I actually steer those trailers, or was at the time, from the cab of my pickup with the remote control. So. A lot of a lot of responsibility and sometimes a lot of a lot of stress if you can imagine steer being responsible for steering the trailer with oh 40 feet 50 feet of of uh swing and tail and the whole nine yards with steer axles and stuff on that trailer if you can imagine doing this in denver colorado houston texas Dallas, Fort Worth. If you can imagine being in that kind of a congestion and steering something like that, and be responsible for half of a 225, 230-foot load going down the highway. That's exactly what we were up to. But anyways, back on track to that story. A lot of people ask me, what the heck is the piloting about? So I thought I'd just clear that up really fast. But anyways, I'm staying there uh, and... I'm staying in a motel there, and it was pretty warm outside, maybe 85, 90 degrees that day. And uh, we ended up, we had a little bit of rain that morning, and they shut the yard down where we were loading in Windsor, Colorado. So we all went back to our motels and just called it a day and took a day off, because we were working pretty much seven days a week doing this stuff. And uh, I go back to my motel, and I'm laying around watching TV, just relaxing for a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a bath. My room, I had one of them big jacuzzi tubs in there. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going gonna to get in there. I'm going to soak for a little bit. Uh, as I've said, I'm paralyzed from the knees down, but I still feel all my sensory stuff works down there. And I'm constantly in consistent pain from the knees down especially my feet my feet hurt 
on a regular basis and I can't explain how bad they hurt on a regular basis but I deal with it I have kids to provide for and I've got a life to provide for a life not a wife <laughs> but uh I you know I put up with it and I deal with it because I have my responsibilities and I'm, I'm not a guy that's just gonna sit back and soak up benefit or anything so I'm laying in this laying in this bed in this hot or in this uh, hotel and uh, I decided to take a bath I take a bath and I get out and usually this itching comes on about the time my skin is at that point where it's not soaking wet but you know when you dry off with your towel and you're still kind of damp at that point right there the dampness on my skin I start chronically itching and it's it's an itch that is mind-altering I cannot even function when this stuff happens there's times I can't even talk on the phone because I am itching so bad and I tried so many different things to get it to cool down so I've tried cold cold showers and baths I tried using cold water thinking well maybe the hot water was was an issue and it's flaring up something with them damaged nerve endings in my skin so I've tried cold I've tried getting out of the shower buck naked and just stand in front of a fan and let the cool air dry me off like an air dry and uh, and enough that I'll get a chill over it well this particular day <laughs> it was so bad now I was driving a GMC Denali uh, sunroof crew cab pickup and in uh, a good running pickup at the time anyways but I get out of the bath sitting on my bed in the room and I'm trying to get dried off and dressed and this itching's flared up bad I could not stop itching and I got to the point where it was driving me nuts and I took one of the riskiest moves I ever made for something to try to uh, to get get out of this itching or to get it soothed a little bit so what I did was I ended up I was wearing a pair of uh, sweatpants, no underwear, a pair of sweatpants, and uh, I threw on a just a like a tank top. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, sweatpants, my work boots because it's the only thing that fits over my braces for my ankles. So sweatpants, my work boots, steel-toed boots, and a tank top, messed up hair and stuff because I just got out of a bath. I go out and I get my pickup and I stripped everything down in my truck. I opened all the windows and I went out on the I-25 and I drove about 80 miles an hour to get a heck of a breeze going through that pickup to at least distract my mind. I figured just maybe it's a mental thing, you know, I was trying to figure this stuff out. So I was thinking maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe if I distract my mind, go out there, get into some traffic. but. My clothes were driving me absolutely batshit crazy. Like, I cannot even express how bad this stuff is. So I'm completely stripped down on this pickup. I got the sunroof open. I got the windows open. I'm doing 80 miles an hour down the interstate. And it worked. <laughs> so, uh, don't worry, you guys. It's not something I do on a regular basis. 
it's just that particular day it was literally driving me crazy like i could have went in and they would have put me on the fifth floor in the mental uh isolation because of how crazy this was driving me and uh that was something that i that's something that i did man i i i got back to the uh hotel and i slipped everything back on and walked inside and and i was i actually had it calm down it took all of about a good 15 20 minute drive the mental distraction and the airflow the nice air flying through that cab helped soothe that but it is something that i deal with on a day-to-day basis i take a shower every day and i i do my best to hide it sometimes i gotta stay away from everybody for an hour because i'm going crazy for that time you know and it's just it's just it's a weird weird condition and we don't even actually know what it is exactly but i do know that it's extremely real and uh there's times that i've taken showers in the uh at night right before bed and apparently it even comes up in my sleep a little bit because i've woke up and have scratched my arms enough that they hurt because I, I apparently was itching in my sleep. It's it's really annoying. Hopefully someday we get a beat on that. Figure out what the heck it is. But I figured I'd share that little story with you. I'm getting so tied up in the telling you this experience going through the hospital. So like I said, we're at six months. I just transferred to a new facility. Longest hospital ride of my life. Or ambulance ride. Down I-25. Uh, south of Colorado Springs bouncing down that section of the interstate in an ambulance that has zero suspension so as I was saying my motion sickness was horrible so they actually had to put two of these little sticker things that go behind your ear on your neck that's actually supposed to help manage motion sickness and they actually work so to begin with they got me on that ambulance just pulling out of the parking lot I was sick so we we got shut down and stuff and they actually put these things on me and gave me a Zofran pill and uh, we take off and then I was still dizzy and lightheaded and stuff but at least I wasn't throwing up these things actually worked little sticker things and pretty cool stuff so we get down there we get into this new facility it's a physical rehabilitation facility and it's supposed to be really high rated and uh the the manager of this facility actually came and met with me personally at the hospital there in colorado springs to try to convince me that i needed to go to their facility they were a facility that managed people on a ventilator and they were their goal was to help me get weaned off the ventilator and start in on a physical and occupational therapy program to start getting stuff to move a little bit i had that little bit of movement in my wrists little tiny bit of movement in my elbows and i can move my head side to side and move my mouth but that was all i had the rest of me was still paralyzed and i'm still on the ventilator my lungs aren't even working so we get into this facility and as i stated in the last uh, episode the staff was very 50 50 <laughs> and what i mean by that is 50 percent of them were absolutely awesome okay the other 50% of them made me want to be anywhere but there. I don't care if they dump me out on a street somewhere in the middle of a rainstorm. 
I didn't want to be in that facility. Um, the night shift was absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Um, as I was getting at, I believe, in the last, uh, last episode there, um, I ended up sitting in diarrhea for about six hours. I pushed call light. I had this wedge for activating my call light. They just set it beside my head because I can't use my arms or my fingers to push a call light button. So there's this wedge and I just simply roll my head side to side to activate it. The call light alarm and everything would go off. And this particular time, the nurse came in uh, when it first happened, which was in the middle of the night there uh, between somewhere between eight o'clock and 10 o'clock in the evening, I'd say. And uh, I ended up sitting in this diarrhea all night. And uh, she kept coming in there. Well, I'll get to you when I can get to you. And I'm helping the guy down the hall. Or I got this going on. Or there's somebody coded. Or, you know, and I'm laying there in this diarrhea. And, and the tube feeding had it so acidic that I, I was literally... My, my waist was stomach acid on bare skin it was eating me to death and uh it was horrible uh six hours later five five hours later somewhere right in there when she come in there to clean me up she was cleaning up blood it was it was awful it was the most painful experience i'd ever had when it came to anything like that it felt felt like a burn but every time she'd wipe wipe with those wipes it was, I could see them. I could see what she was doing. And uh, they come out blood red. It, it was very disgusting. Well, then I get up the next next day and uh, they're trying to wean me off that ventilator. And bam, I pop my left lung again. They transfer me over to the, to the uh, ICU at the uh, hospital in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. And... Uh, they do the skin assessment. They flip out because my skin is so heavily damaged by all of all of the rash and, and open sores and stuff from sitting in diarrhea for such an extended period of time. Literally ate my skin away. So it actually got reported and it got taken care of. I mean, I had the uh, they actually came back later and was trying to get me to go back to their facility, and uh, I just it was something that I wasn't gonna do. But the doctors came in. This this facility was so awesome because they had such good resources and such a a, a cool set of doctors um, that had so many outside resources all over the world. It was actually really cool. So we uh, we go through this process where the doctors are trying to get me fixed up there. The chest tubes aren't working this particular time. Leaves us with an option: surgery. I gotta have surgery on that left lung. They sit down with me, and uh, my aunt, who was, who is my power of attorney, that would sit sit through all the important stuff with us. Thank God she was an absolute rock star through all this stuff. But uh, they sit down with us and they explain the risks. I'm a Guillain-Barre patient. Trauma, any kind of trauma to the body, is an activator of Guillain-Barre. So an intense surgery or anything going in and fixing my lung, we're at risk of having a reoccurrence. Now, 
my body at this time cannot handle a reoccurrence of what we got going on. I'd already died a couple times with this stuff because of how bad it got. And uh, thankfully, I didn't have a do not resuscitate um, option in my file there. So they made sure I was still there. But uh, but no, the, the risks and everything was expressed to me. And, uh, and we went on with the surgery. But I tell you what, I was a nervous wreck. I was scared out of my mind. I was scared that, hey, we're going to have this surgery that has to be done. Like, absolutely no question about it. I have to do this surgery. And uh, they end up uh, doing the surgery and the whole time getting ready, uh, wheeling me down the hallway to the operating room for this thing. I honestly felt like that was the last time I was going to see the lights on the right side of that tunnel or whatever it is out there. I thought that was it. I had it in my mind. I was thinking, oh my God, I made it six months and now I'm going to get taken out over a collapsed lung surgery. So they go in there and it's actually a really cool procedure. They go in there and they basically rough up the meat and stuff on the inside of the rib cage and they rough up the exterior portion of the lung. Okay. And part of the deal is, is uh, like mine, I've got these little air sacs on the outside of my lungs called blebs. And these guys were awesome at explaining this stuff to me. So these blebs, they're little air pockets, outside outer layer of my lungs. So what's happening when they're collapsing these lungs is I pop these blebs. When I pop these blebs, I collapse the lung. All the air escapes, I've got a flat lung. So what they do is they go in there and they basically rough up the material and they cause bleeding. So this bleeding... Everybody's like, oh my God, you're bleeding on the inside. That's not good. That's internal bleeding. Not the same deal here. So, I mean, in a way, yeah, but in a way, no. So what the deal is here, they create this, this little bit of blood flow there. Okay, we got this little bit of blood, and they use a talc, a talc, like talc uh, solution to go in there. And the talc actually creates a reaction with the bleeding that causes a tissue to, to develop a bond between the lung and that and that structure above it, the, behind the rib cage there. So it actually keeps that lung opened up. Really neat procedure. So we go in and we do this procedure. We come out. It must have knocked me out because I think I slept for 12 hours after the procedure. I, Actually, it was it was the first time I was going to get to see my little boy, Lyric, my youngest. It was going to be the first time I actually got to see him. Uh, his mom was bringing him down there to uh, meet my Aunt Judy. My Aunt Judy was going to bring him in. And I was going to finally get to see him when I came out of surgery. And I slept the whole day. We did surgery at like 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock, something like that. And I ended up sleeping all day. I woke up at like 8 o'clock that night, 9 o'clock that night. And, uh, yeah, completely wiped me out. But it worked. It worked for a little bit. I'll get to that in a later episode. <laughs> but, no, we ended up, so we go through this. I come out of it all right. I'm doing good. We start experimenting in this hospital in the ICU with going back to a speaking valve as I'd mentioned in the last episode I believe speaking valve goes in the trach so it's basically a port blocker there that causes 
the the blockage in the way the air flows to where I can activate my vocal cords. Okay, you gotta have that pressure there to activate the vocal cords to be able to say something. So, and that's where we're at with this. We're putting this valve in and we're turning the ventilator completely down or off and uh, working on trying to breathe on my own and uh, and talking. And uh, not, not to throw a foul world, uh, word out there, my very first word successfully said after six months of not talking or saying a single thing was fuck. Sorry for the language, but that's what the word was. It was, he put that thing in there and I managed to push just enough air to get that four letter word out there. But I meant it. I've been wanting to say that for six months. Holy smokes. So yeah, I, uh, I finally get a word out. I'm excited, but I figured out that after six months of not talking, six months of not talking, one sentence will wear you out. I'd literally say, how is the weather outside? And just getting those words out would wear me out so fast. I'd, I'd fall, fall asleep for the next couple hours. I'd say, how's the weather outside? And it would take so much energy out of me to get those words out. Relearning how to talk is an absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. But it's also very interesting and very fascinating to me, too. This whole process is very fascinating to me. As much as I say it's crazy and it's, a, and it's just one big nightmare, I'm also fascinated by the process of all this. So... I finally said a word. First word, fuck. So that's how it was. We'll get into a little more. This facility is awesome where I'm at. Made made some good moves here in this facility. So we go into episode number 17. I'll fill you in on that. God bless you guys. Have a good evening.